0: Namo tassa bhagavato Ahahato Sama Sambudasa Namo tassa bhagavato Ahahato Sama Namo tassa bhagavato
1: the title of this talk tonight is Death, Our Close Friend This morning I have introduced the reflection on death Maranasati Pali. I have given you some explanations and also guidelines for practicing this reflection and so tonight in this talk I will expand on this reflection and give you some more input for this what I consider very important reflection. Nothing is as certain as our death. Death will come for sure. Nobody, no living being, can escape death. So therefore, we should be well prepared for this inevitable fact. Meditation practice, in its most general sense, can be seen as a preparation for death namely a preparation to die well, peacefully and calmly. In German the word sicher, which means certain or sure, is combined with the German word tot, death. So in German it's "tod sicher, in death Certain, or death sure. So I found it very interesting that the word for certain or for sure is combined with the word for death. Certain or sure, sicher, already means that something is sure or certain. Why then the combination with death? Well, I think, to really stress the fact that the only certain thing in this universe is death. We will die, that's for sure. Tod sicher, death sure. So the Buddha had repeatedly encouraged his disciples to reflect on death, to reflect on their mortality. As you know by now, the reflection on death is one of the four protective meditations. But this reflection on death is also part of what is called the five daily reflections. And there, in regard to death, one reflects I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. Or it's also about aging. It would be, I'm of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. So when we engage in this reflection on death, we should reflect one day we will die. Reflect that we are mortal, we are not immortal. And this should also reflect on the fact that we do not know when we are going to die, we do not know how we are going to die, we don't know where we will die, and we don't know the cause of our death. You know, whether it's dying due to old age or sickness or an accident or murder or whatever. But actually, the primary cause of death, that's the same for every person, for every living being. This primary cause of death birth. Seneca was a Roman philosopher who lived at the time around when Jesus Christ lived and he had said, when you die it will not be because you are sick but because you are born. So he had that understanding. So if this reflection on death is done repeatedly or, if possible, on a daily basis, then it's really possible to make friends with death. Then death becomes an intimate friend because we know, yes, we are going to die. Although most of the people say that they know that they are going to die, this knowledge is actually not so deeply anchored in the heart and mind. And this becomes obvious when these people are confronted with their own death, maybe having a terminal illness, or when they are confronted with the death of a beloved person. So then the fact that they suffer uh, from that, that they suffer from sorrow or fear or depression, so this shows that they were not really prepared for this death-certain event, for this tot sichere um, tatsache. So during my many years of practice I have extensively reflected on death with the help of these four protective meditations, also with the five daily reflections. And once I did a three week meditation retreat only doing this reflection on death. I went to Wat Buddha Dhamma north of Sydney. And so, from the time I woke up until I fell asleep, I was just doing this reflection on death, as I had instructed you this morning. You know, for a day or two, I just would take the phrase, life is uncertain, death is certain. Life is uncertain, death is certain. And as I said, you know, wisely, wisely reflect on this fact, to really let it sink into the heart, not only being in intellectual understanding, but just do it repeatedly, repeatedly, and see what it does um, with you. And then, after some days, I would take another phrase. I'm going to die that's for sure I'm going to die that's for sure and again just staying with that phrase for a couple of days also, and so on <laughs> so it was quite powerful I have to say so then in 2006, 12 years ago, I was confronted with a terminal illness. I was diagnosed with a melanoma, black skin cancer, that went quite deep into my skin. And the prognosis was quite bleak. But at that time, I was relieved to find that I had made friends with death. So really, death had become a close friend of mine. It was no longer like an enemy and it was no longer something that caused great fear to arise. So that at that time, it was really a big relief to see that the practice of the Dhamma had worked or that this reflection on death had um, was bearing fruit. And then and so you know as I said the prognosis was quite bleak. I mean the doctors didn't tell me straight into the face but It was something like, well, maybe you have a year, maybe two, if you are lucky. But then, six years later, I was still alive, but then I was diagnosed a metastasis. So the melanoma had spread, and it had spread into the bone, just above the ankle. And... So when I heard that news, again, it was a big relief to see, to experience that also this news was not this kind of devastating news that would push me into the abyss or I did not fall into despair or became depressed. Having this metastasis in the bone just above the ankle, I was told I could have surgery to remove the tumor, which would mean an amputation of the leg below the knee or that I could do an immunotherapy and the doctor professor at the University Hospital in Zurich suggested I do this uh, immunotherapy, telling me that, again, not so bluntly, but uh, he said, you know, instead of a few months, you will have two or three years to live. And so then I made my own research friend of mine helped me, and I also went to see other doctors to see what they would say. And one of these doctors was my dermatologist who had uh, taken out the primary melanoma. And he is Buddhist, he actually is Cambodian, and he uh, fled the country when the Khmer Rouge was. doing this atrocious thing in Cambodia. His father had been killed, but his mother with her children uh, fled and finally came to Switzerland. So that's where he grew up, where he uh, became a doctor. And so um, he, he was Buddhist and when I first saw him in 2006, I was still a nun and so there was this immediate connection, you know. And so having the diagnosis of the metastasis, I went to see him and told him what the professor in Zurich had said and that I thought that to remove the tumor, even if it meant the amputation of the leg, that this was the better thing to do. And then he said, and I really appreciated his openness, he said, yes, from a medical point of view, it was better to remove the tumor, to take it out. And in this case, even if it meant amputation. But then he said that, you know, to give this advice to me, or he could this advice to me, knowing I was a Buddhist nun, that I had practiced meditation, understanding the Buddha's teaching, understanding that I had a different approach to this body and mind, to life, understanding that it was processes happening in the body in the mind of an impersonal nature and for that also having a different relationship to my body, not being identified so much with the outer form of my body, so that he said yes, that would really be the best thing to do. And so in my case, yes, basically, go for it. <laughs> but then he admitted, and I really appreciated that honestness of him, he admitted that he would be very reluctant to have given this advice to any other person, not having this Buddhist background or this understanding about the nature of the body. Because he said, if he had told somebody you know, that it was best to amputate the leg, for most of the people, then that would be the, the end of the world. He said, you know, it's so difficult for people to hear such a thing. So then they are devastated, that's the end of the world, and it's just like they are collapsing, and that's it. And so he said, most likely the professor in Zurich um, came from the same place, you know, saying it because of that. So, anyway, then when I told the professor in Zurich that I was going for amputation, he was quite shocked. <laughs> and he really want, uh, asked me, Do you really want to do this? I said, Yes. <laughs> and it was after about a year or one and a half years because then I had to go for regular checkups and scans and so on and so then about yeah one and one and a half years after the amputation he said "Well, i think or well i think this was a good decision you took so i was happy to hear his approval Anyway, coming back to this reflection on death. As I said, also the second time, when faced with what could have been close death, um, I could state with quite a bit of relief that death was not this fearful thing anymore. That I could state that the mind reacted with quite a bit of equanimity. Although not perfect, there is still work to do, but there's this equanimity that had resulted from this deep reflection on death. So through this repeated reflection on death, the fact that I have to die that we all have to die was no longer just a heady and intellectual understanding, but it had sunk quite deeply into the heart and mind. And I have to say that making friends with death is incredibly liberating. It's so liberating because The underlying fear or worry around death, they are no longer present. And sometimes we even don't know that there is this underlying fear or worry. But then with this fear and worry no longer present, then the heart and the mind do no longer need to worry if I will die or how I will die or when I will die because it's so clear that I will die sooner or later and so as a result of this deep understanding it's like a heavy burden falls off the shoulder and then the result or the absence of uh, this burden brought lightness and joy into my life. Another result that comes along with this deep understanding is a greater awareness, a greater awareness and a greater appreciation for this life or for the beauty and the preciousness of this life and also uh, greater um, gratitude. And besides that, of course, this feeling of some Vega, spiritual urgency, uh, becomes much stronger. So, if people knew that they only had a short time to live, I think they would most likely turn towards the more meaningful things in life. I think they would much more easily be able to abandon the trivial and meaningless things in life. Some years ago, I was teaching a meditation retreat at the center in the Blue Mountains. And one woman who came for the retreat, she said that for the duration of this retreat, I think it was two weeks, she wanted to shave her head. And she explained that just recently, a very close friend of hers had died of breast cancer. And so her friend's death caused her to reflect on death, also on her own death. And so she, she reflected what she wanted to do before she had to die. And so she made a list of the really important thing, things she wanted to do and one of these things was to shave her head mm-hmm. just to have had this experience <laughs> and so based on her some vega feeling of spiritual urgency she said that she wanted to do it during uh, this retreat so I shaved her head so This reflection on death, it should not paralyze us. It should not make us feel sad or it should not depress us. It should also not cause morbid thoughts to arise because that would absolutely not be what the Buddha meant and it would really not be the essence of this reflection. So apart from the things that I have already mentioned I want to mention some other things some other qualities or thoughts that can arise from this reflection and which are quite beneficial. So a beneficial result of this reflection on death can be that we lead a good life and for me this is kind of the central point, to live a good life so that we can say at any time that we have lived that we are still living a good life and therefore we are ready to live. So do we have the willingness to live, to go? Anytime, time, so this would be the ideal case. Mananda, he was a Sri Lankan monk who lived much of his life in Malaysia. Before he died in 2006, I had the opportunity to go and pay uh, respect to him when I was in KL. So Banditamananda rela- relates a letter that was written to him by a good friend whose name was David Morris. And David Morris was a well-known Western Buddhist scholar. He died at the age of 85. And soon after the death, of Morris, David Morris, Bhante Damananda received a letter from him, which he must have obviously written after his death. So David Morris wrote, Bhante, you will be happy to know that I died today. There are two reasons for this. Firstly, you will be relieved to know that my suffering from the sickness has finally ended. And secondly, since I became a Buddhist, I have faithfully observed the five precepts. As a result, I know that my next life cannot be a miserable one. So, Maurice, David Morris, he could die peacefully with no regrets, having lived a good life. Another beneficial result from this reflection is that it brings joy and gratitude into life. Joy and gratitude each day. So for example, each morning when we wake up, we can be grateful to have another day. We can be grateful to even have woken up. Another benefit is it brings mindfulness and presence into one's life. So this awareness of one's own mortality brings a stronger presence into one's life and also a greater willingness to be mindful, to be really present. It also brings serenity and equanimity into one's life. Equanimity to take things as they come or the equanimity not to take things so seriously or the equanimity to know that the world will not collapse without me, it will go on. Another benefit of this reflection is that um, we really try to cultivate wholesome mental states. This comes along with the understanding of karma. Karma being volitional actions and knowing that volitional actions they will produce a result, an effect. So understanding that it is the wholesome actions that will produce wholesome results and so then trying to do wholesome actions of body, speech, and mind. And also, in regard to karma, understanding that we, if something needs to be done, we should do it today and not postponing it for tomorrow or next week. Who knows if you are still alive? Then it also uh, deepens the understanding that when we die, we cannot take anything with us. We We have to leave behind all our material possessions. We have to leave behind our friends, our beloved ones. This reflection on death also helps arouse energy. When I was young often my mother would say, from nothing comes nothing, meaning there is energy needed to achieve something, to do something. And so to cultivate what is good, to cultivate wholesome mental states Needs a certain amount of energy. And as we uh, understand better and better, unwholesome, wholesome states, you know, they are so deeply rooted as habitual reactions, deeply rooted habits. And so to uproot these habits or to transform them into wholesome habits. This needs some effort. This needs, uh, we need to do some work here. And the last benefit that I want to mention is that this reflection on death brings clarity to our mind. Clarity also about the priorities we ask ourselves, what are my priorities in life? What is really important? For who is important? And How do I want to live my life? So with this, our priorities become much clearer. Quite many people have a difficult relationship with death. Although people say, yes, yes, I know I will die, my friends will die. But as I said, it's quite a superficial understanding and still it's uh, something that they rather want to push to the side, not talk about it. And so this difficult relationship with death also manifests in the fact that there are so many words or expressions for death and dying. Often people do not use the word death or dying but they use other words because for them it is as if the word death Or dying would make death or dying worse or that this world could even provoke death or as if they could these words death dying as if they could infect us with the death virus but we do not need to worry we are already infected (laughs) Hugo Lötzscher is a Swiss writer and one of his books is called Wunderwelt, Wonder World. And in this novel, uh, he lists many words for death and dying. And the novel takes place in Brazil and so we may be not so familiar with some of the expressions he uses for death. So here um, are some of these expressions he lists. To go to the better side, to take the wooden express, (laughs) (laughs) to button the tailcoat, to pack the suitcase, to settle the bill, to take leave forever, to close the eyes forever, or to pull the plug, or the motor stand still, or to no longer eat beans. (laughs) Beans being a staple food in Brazil. (laughs) So it's good to ask ourselves every now and again, how will I die? Will I close the umbrella or will I tie the rope? Will I stay in the enclosure or will I go to Nibbana? Tulku Orgen Rinpoche, this Tibetan uh, Buddhist master, he told us how easy it is to die. He said, it is said that the difference between being alive or dead is a single breath. If you exhale and you do not inhale, you are dead. That's all it takes. In the late Middle Ages, death was depicted with a sickle in his hand. And that's why death was called the Grim Reaper. And is in these illustrations, we see how death, the Grim Reaper, goes and calls people. And so these illustrations have become have become known as the Dance of Death. And the first such illustration appeared in Paris on the wall of a cemetery that was in 1425. A few years ago, there was an exhibition called The Art of Life and the Dance of Death. And this exhibition was in the parish house of the township where I live in Switzerland. And a friend of mine helped um, organize this exhibition. And they had it for about a couple of months and then um, when this exhibition was finished, this friend told me that one of the persons who was a member of the church, he left the church saying that this topic was not fit for the Protestant church. So back to the illustrations of the dance of death. So death then often also depicted just as a skeleton with the sickle in his hand. So death takes and calls everyone. On these illustrations we see death um, takes the queen and the beggar, the rich and the poor, the nun and the pope, the seamstress and the soldier, the old man and the young girl. Nowadays, He would take the manager and the designer, the prostitute and the politician, the student and the writer. Death is not fussy. Death takes anyone away, anytime and without asking. Or have you ever received a letter from death telling you that you that you should get ready on a certain day or did death ask you whether it would be convenient next monday at 2:45 p.m. so many people are afraid of death are afraid of dying and it is said in the Buddhist scriptures that basically every kind of fear goes back to this primary fear of death.
0: <clears throat>
1: so the fear of death has kind of two aspects. First of all, there is the act of dying, and then The second aspect is the uncertainty and fear of what comes after death. So first, the first aspect, the act of dying. How will it be? So there's the fear of dying with pain, or the fear of dying with a confused mind, or the fear of dying in a coma, or just this uncertainty when I die. What will I experience? What will I feel? What will I see? Then the certain aspect is the uncertainty and fear of what comes after death. And you know this also depends on people's belief system. After death What comes after death? Is it heaven or hell? Is it the purgatory? Or is it just nothing? Is it annihilation? Or is there rebirth? Is there some other uh, existence? Or will there be the last judgment? So against the fear of dying, the actual act of dying, we can do something. So this fear is not necessary. It's a bit more difficult to deal with the uncertainty of not really knowing what comes after death. Even if several scenarios are mentioned, (coughs) heaven, hell, Rebirth, annihilation. We will only know when we die. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> master Sheng Yin was a Chinese Buddhist master. He died in 2009. And he had a very pragmatic attitude towards death. So in order to diminish our fear or suffering around death, Master Sheng Yin gave the advice to think about birth and death as a transformation. A transformation when one phenomenon changes into another one. So he said, When water turns into ice, we should not regret that the water has disappeared. Maybe the ice will serve us better. So as I've said, we can do something against the fear of death death, or dying. This fear is not necessary. And when we have really made friends with death, then death and dying will no longer be frightening. Then we are no longer afraid of death. So this reflection on death can be practiced in a formal way. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk and as I Uh, instructed this morning, but this reflection on death can also be practiced in a spontaneous way, practiced spontaneously during our day-to-day life. So for example when we pass a cemetery then we can recall that we too will die one day. Or when we read the newspapers, if you still read newspapers, um, you know, usually there are obituaries in the newspaper. And so, just instead of turning over the page, we can stay a few moments with these obituaries and read them. You know, this person has died, being aged. Um, 85 or 17 or whatever, and then really take some moments to let it in. Yes, death is omnipresent. Every day there are people who are dying. Just recently I read that in Switzerland, every day on the average. Eight people are dying. Uh, there are about eight million people uh, in Switzerland. So, when we read these obituaries, again, we realize it's not only the old and the sick who die. Sometimes young people, 25, 17, you know. Sometimes it says we lost our beloved son through a motorcycle accident. And sometimes it's babies, sometimes two days old babies who die. Or else another way of practicing spontaneously His reflection on death is, you know, when the church bells are ringing. I don't know how it is here in Australia, but in Switzerland, you know, which is predominantly Christian, Catholic, and Protestant. So then, the funerals they are held in the churches, in the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church, and whenever there is a funeral, the church bells are ringing. They ring five minutes uh, before it starts, and so usually when the church bells are ringing, like 10 a.m. in the morning, or at two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, then one knows, ah, now a funeral uh, is taking place. And so again, this can be a moment on reflecting on death. Somebody has died. It's his or her funeral now. I will die one day. And so then maybe reflect when will the church bells ring for me, for my funeral? So as I said and as we know, it is for sure that we will die. That's a fact. And it's also a fact that we will be able to die even if we have never practiced the actual act of dying, when it comes, we will be able to do so. So no worry that you will fail. (laughs) And even if if a lot has gone wrong in your life, even if you have failed many times, you certainly will not fail in the event of death. Pantisuchiva is a Malaysian Buddhist monk and in one of his books he had written how he would like to encounter death. I want to read you this passage. Hello death, how are you? I have been waiting for you a long time. All my life I have been anticipating you. Are you coming for me at long last? Is it time for me to go already? Yes, Death, I'm coming. Be patient. I'm ready. Can't you see I'm smiling? Yes, Death, I understand. You don't have to apologize. I know you've got a job to do. I hold no grudge. No hard feelings. It's nothing personal, I understand. Death, it's alright. I'll come with you gladly. I'm tired. This body is like a broken shell. It has seen better days and has outlived its usefulness and time. As you can see, I'm already almost dead. And I have endured. All this pain, trying to smile at all these visitors calling on me. Death, to tell you the truth, you should have come earlier. After all the pain, you are a welcome respite. You are a godsend, but enough talk of this. Death, let's not dally. Let's go. Come, hold my hand. So, I will close this talk with a chant that is often recited at the funeral in Asian Buddhist countries or Buddhist communities First I will give you the English translation and then I'll chant it in Pali Impermanent are all conditioned phenomena they arise and disappear. Having arisen, they cease to be. Their cessation is true happiness.
0: Aniccavata Sankara Upadavaya Damina Upacitava Nirojantita
1: So let's sit quietly for a few moments.
0: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org